We have a lot of things to be thankful for, church. Hallelujah. All right, you can sit down again. We'll get back to the normal proceedings. Hopefully it didn't make you feel too uncomfortable, but I think we need to give thanks. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you guys uh, excited that we finally made it all the way through the book of Romans and we're going to talk about something else? It was only 28 weeks. And we had a couple of sessions in the middle. So I think we started Romans in January. So almost the entire year other than a few breaks in the middle. But how many of y'all were blessed by that to go through that? You know what I love about going through scriptures one by one is you don't get to skip the hard stuff. You know, there's there's too many people that want to have like a uh, a progressive Christianity. You guys remember the progressive commercials with Flo and she's got her stand gun and you want this, but you don't want this? We'll make a package for you. Well, that's not how Christianity works. We can't have progressive Christianity where we, we want the good stuff, but we want to leave out the hard stuff. I want to be forgiven, but I want to be able to live however I want to live. It doesn't quite work that way. So we go through the scriptures one by one because we don't get to skip the hard parts. Amen? But we're past that, at least for now. We'll get to another one eventually. Today I've entitled the message, How Will You Shine? you guys know that the world seems to be getting a little bit darker every single day? I don't know if you notice, I actually stopped listening to the news and watching the news. I actually don't watch it hardly at all. Because I found, particularly when I was following political stuff, that it would affect my attitude throughout the day. I would be so irritated by what was going on and so just befuddled by the way that some people can think that it was driving me crazy. Like I, I, It was actually affecting my attitude, affecting how I treated other people. Because this world is, is plunging into darkness at a rate faster than I'd wish to admit. But you see, the thing about when it's dark outside, that's when light shines the brightest. When there's less light, you can see other things. You know, it's just... just I love how principles in the Bible match what actually goes on in our world. You know, one of the reasons we don't turn all these lights on up here is because if we did, you'd have a hard time seeing the projector. Because when there's all that stuff in the way, when there's all brightness everywhere, when there's light everywhere, when everything's going great and everything seems to be perfect regardless of why, it's hard to see the light that you want to see. You know, if everybody's life was perfect without Jesus and trying to explain to them they need Jesus, they wouldn't be able to see. It would be, it would be blinded out by, by everything that's going on in their life. Matter of fact, I think that's why there's so many who are incredibly rich. And you see these, these uh, professional athletes and actors, the reason why they can't see the need for Jesus is they think they have it all with money, so all of a sudden everything topples down around them. And many of us, we get all upset. This isn't what I'm preaching on today, but I'm going to keep going because... That many of us get upset, we see that they have everything. We're like, why, why do they have everything, God? And we forget that the scripture says that the blessings of the Lord make rich and they add no sorrow to it. But all we see is that they're made rich and we don't see all the sorrow that's being added to it because that's not blessing from the Lord. I mean, the being rich is not always a blessing. Having all these kinds of things is not always a blessing. And sometimes they have a hard time seeing the light because they think they have it all. I know in my life, it was, it was like that for me. I figured that I was good at everything and I could do everything myself. I didn't need God. And I thank God that there was finally a time. Man, he was patient with me for a long time. And I was stubborn for a long time and finally said, all right, you think you got this figured out? Give it a go. And my life fell apart around me. And I could finally see 
the light. Because it wasn't blinded out of by my own light that I was trying to shine. But when it's dark, as the, the world begins to get darker and darker, we're actually going to begin shining brighter and brighter. And the thing is, is that we need to start thinking about how we are going to shine, how we are going to make an impact. In many parts of the world, particularly in the United States, and I won't say that it's like this everywhere, but the effectiveness of going out and yelling on a screen street corner is, is starting to wane. People have been abused so many times by that that they don't respond to it anymore. So we have to think about how can we make an impact? How can we shine? How can we be that beacon of hope? And today I want to look at kind of a, a practical approach to what that looks like. Because how many know the world actually is watching us right now? Most of the time, the world is watching us, looking for opportunities to call us hypocrites. And unfortunately, so many of us give them plenty of reason to do so. Hallelujah. But the thing about light is that it's always shining. When the light is on, it's always shining. It doesn't stutter. It doesn't flicker. When light is shining, it's shining always. How many know that lights can also be modified? The, the color of a light can be changed. Light can be deflected. Light can be filtered. And light can be distorted. You see, when you look into a fish tank, anybody here had a fish tank or have you seen a fish tank? When you look into a fish tank, and it always amazed me as a kid, I would look at the top and you'd see something going in the water and then you'd look at it in the water and it was a little bit magnified and it didn't line up anymore. Because some stuff can deflect and filter light. In photography, we use filters to change how things look. One of the oldest tricks in the book. And it's why I would tell all you guys, and you guys take pictures with your cell phone and sometimes they're all kind of foggy and dreamy look. You want to know why that is? It's because your face grease is all up over the camera, all over the lens. Matter of fact, that's one of the tricks we used to use in photography um, before we do, did everything digital is you would, you would smear Vaseline on the end of your lens, and it causes that dreamy look where your face is doing the same thing to your lens. Clean off the lens every now and then you'll get nice clear pictures with your cell phone. But the reason why people used to do that is because it gives that dreamy look, and it it makes skin look great because it removes the fine details. And it makes everything a little bit softer. And then even glasses that we wear do the same thing. They reshape and focus the light so that we can see. If I take my glasses off, my right eye is pretty good. It's not bad. It, you know, my whole life I had 20-15 vision. Now in my right eye I have about 20-25, which really isn't all that bad, but I have a lot worse vision in my left eye, and I forget what it is. But if I take my glasses off and I look at you with my left eye, everyone's kind of blurry. If I look at you with my right eye, I can see just fine. So that's what the glasses do, is they go ahead and fix the light in my other eye so that I can see clearly in both, because light can be manipulated and make it to do other things. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is that when people see us, are they seeing the pure light of Jesus? Or are they seeing something filtered? Are they seeing something distorted? Does Christianity look like what Christianity is supposed to when people see us? Do they see 
what Jesus looks like when they see the way that we live our lives or they see a distorted or reflected view of what's going on. That's what I want to talk about today. How will we shine? How do we look to others when they see us? In Acts 13, 47, it says, For the soul of the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is actually quoting an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 49, 6. And this is what it says. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the, pers- the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And this verse is actually referring to the Messiah. And, and God referred to just saving the Jews to be too small a thing. I love that. He says, it is too light a thing that you would be my servant to raise up just the tribes of Jacob. It was always God's plan to bring everybody into the fold for the entire earth to take part of salvation. That's actually why we have to shine brightly now so that, that we don't skew what salvation actually looks like. We don't skew the gospel when, we, when people see it in us. We're an extension of that light, and Christ in us is the light that, that we shine on the rest of the world. And it's not just so we can point out flaws. That's not the purpose. But it's actually to bring them home. See, the Jews had rejected the message of Jesus, so Paul turned to the Gentiles. And we find that that we're a light to the Gentiles. So it makes me think, what do we use light for then? If we're a light to the Gentiles, what does that mean? And what do we actually use light for? Well, one, we use light to guide the way, right? People have been using the uh, the North Star to, to navigate the oceans for as long as we can remember. I mean, since they got on the ocean, that's how they've been navigating because they used the light of that star to put them on the correct path. We also use lighthouses to let people to let ships know that if they keep moving in, they could hit it. We use it to, to guide their way away from that. If you get on an airplane, what do they have on the sides of the roads there? Those little lights. Because if the power goes out, those will still light up and guide you off of the ship. We also use light to illuminate the path that we're walking. Now, my wife is funny because we'll go out walking at night. And we live in Miranda, so we don't have street lights. It's only the lights on the front of, uh, uh, of people's houses. So it's often quite dark in the neighborhood. And she refuses to walk out there without some sort of light. She wants to know where she's going. She wants to, really, it's because she's a little bit afraid. Because that's the other thing we use light for, right, is to quell fear. When kids are sleeping at night, we turn the bedroom light or the bathroom light on so they have a little bit of light so that they won't be quite as afraid. Michelle uses the light because she's convinced if she doesn't have a light on the ground, then all the spiders and all of Morena will convene on her toes. She's convinced that what keeps them away is the light. So she's always got to have a light. So we also use it as a point to navigate to. When airplanes come in on the landing strip, the lights light up the landing strip. They have people out front, you know, doing some cheerleading moves with the lights and all that stuff to get the ships in, to get the planes in. We use light to do that. But the most important thing that we use light for, anybody guess? To be able to see. You may not know this, but if there's no light, 
You can't see a thing. It's pitch black. It's pitch dark. You'd be running into stuff. You ever been walking around your house? Most of us know our house pretty good because we can get up at night, make it to the bathroom without uh, having to deal with anything. And so we were on this this trip in in, in Mexico and and uh, the the out in the middle of the ocean, as you can imagine, there's no lights anywhere. So if there's no lights coming in from the ship, it's pitch black. So our rooms, with the curtains drawn and everything and the lights off, pitch black. But it's a little tiny room. There's only one walkway to the bathroom. And, you know, you should be able to make it just fine. And and uh, I had gotten up already once in the middle of the night, you know, before I went to bed and once in the night to go use the restroom. And uh, then later on I had to go use the restroom. Well, something happened in between my last time and the other time. And Allison, my daughter, had come in, and, and uh, she, she wasn't feeling well, so we let her lay down on the couch, but we had a suitcase on the couch. Well, they both couldn't be on the couch. The suitcase got put on the floor. Now, my wife is, is, is uh, a very observant woman, and she looks out. She doesn't want anybody to get hurt, so she pushes it as far over as she can, which put it in the perfect place for my pinky toe to grab it and a, and a grown man wept that night. But that it gets worse. So then I get to the bathroom, do my business, and I'm walking back out. And wouldn't you know, it was now in the right place for my other pinky toe. First time I wept, the second time I probably screamed like a 13-year-old girl and wept some more. If I had only had some lights... If I'd only had some light, I would have been able to see. He goes on to say in Matthew 5.13, uh, uh, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt is an interesting thing because we use it to season our food. We use it to give it flavor. We use it for preservation. Matter of fact, before refrigerators, that's what they use to preserve food. And we use it to bring something to its full potential because a good steak is, is good, but if you put some salt and some seasonings on it, it gets really good. If you don't like steak, you're wrong. I mean, that's all there really is to it. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for you. But the thing about salt is it's impossible to make salt unsalty. I mean, by definition, to be salt, it has to be salty, right? But could you imagine if you put salt on your steak and it wasn't salty? I mean, what would unsalty salt accomplish? What would it do? What would it? What would its purpose be? You know what? If you want to find out to see how unsalty salt works, you can get the same exact thing by sprinkling some sand on your steak. That's the equivalent of unsalty salt. You guys do it and tell me how it works. I, I don't want to try it. We just get a gritty steak. And the thing is, without salt in our lives, if we're not salt, if we're not impactful, if we're not making a difference, if, if, if Christ isn't shining through us, then that thing that's our ability is what? Because that's what it says, right? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. 
We need to be salty. We need to be right, church. Otherwise, we're not effective for the kingdom of heaven. So the question then is, how practically do we become salt and light? And there's three things that I think are important to ensure that we're salty. One, it's how we speak. Two, is how we act. And the third one, which quite possibly could be the most important, is that we remain consistent. Those are the things that we can do to be salt and light in this earth. So in Ephesians 5, 3 through 4, we're going to begin to look at the first part and how do we speak in order to remain salt and light. In Ephesians 5, 3 through 4, it says, But sexual immorality and all impure or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You guys were off to a great start this morning as we got up and thanked God for what was going on in our lives. Church, this is the the question that I like to to ask, and, and many of you who have been here for a while will know the answer, but how many of you in this room are saints? All right, let me try again. Everybody raise your hand. If you're saved, if you're saved, raise your hand. Now, don't put no don't put them on, keep them up. How many of you are saved? Or are saints? Everybody, this is good. I like it. You guys got it right that time. If you are saved, you're a saint. That's how the scripture refers to us. Being a saint isn't about a formal process that you have to go through and some church names you a saint. The truth is, is that if you are saved, you're a saint because it's an identity in Christ. We are those set apart. It is who we are. And the thing is, as saints, we should look a little bit different than the rest of the world. You know, you can, uh, two indications of a person's character are what they will laugh at and what makes them weak. So the question that I, I want to ask you guys is to think about, take a, you know, this is a practical approach to take an inventory. When you're at work, do you get all caught up in the dirty jokes and the sexual innuendo that goes along? Now I get it. We work with people and they're going to make jokes. They're going to do their thing. But do you laugh? Or do you do like I try to do and just stand there straight face and make you feel uncomfortable? After a while, they'll stop doing it. Or do you attack people with your tongue? Do you laugh at jokes that are inappropriate? Does anybody even know where you stand on this? You know, the the one thing is if you want to not have this stuff be around you all the time, let people know where you're standing. I'm not talking about berating them for what they're doing. If they're not Christians, you're a fool if you expect them to act like Christians. But it doesn't mean that they don't need to know that you are one. And the truth is, is, is even people that aren't saved, most of them are respect enough to not cost them to do these things around you if they actually know that you're saved and you don't appreciate it. And like I said, the, you know, don't laugh at a few of those jokes and they'll stop telling you around. Telling them around you. Has anybody ever heard you thank Jesus at your job? Most of us are afraid to mention any of this stuff. We wouldn't want someone to hear us say thank you Jesus for something that happened. But I know for me, it, when, I, when I mention these things, 
I'm not here to to make anybody feel bad because the truth is, is that we can't do anything about the past. We can just move forward. We can make this movement forward. But I've done all these things. Even sometimes now I have to make a conscious effort because even we work in environments today where where potentially you could be, be called out for offending somebody for saying something like that. So we're not out to, to make people feel bad. We're not out to to belittle them or berate them or make them feel like that there's something wrong because that's not our job, particularly in a work, workplace. It may or may not be appropriate. You get the opportunity. They open their mouth and, and let you have an inroad. Tell them about Jesus. Take the opportunity. Don't ever miss the opportunity. But on the other hand, it's not our job to, to, to condemn people and to make them feel bad either. But they should know who we are and where we stand. Ephesians 4.29 Paul says, let no corrupting thought come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, what it may give grace to those who hear. Do you encourage people at work? Do you lift them up? Do you try to come alongside them? When somebody has a problem, do you help them out, or do you hope your boss sees it so you can move into their position? Are you a complainer about your job, about coworkers, or the boss? And I get this one. This is one I have to, to fight against all the time, because... Sometimes people make me want to strangle them. Sometimes people do stuff that I'm just like, oh, we hired you for a job. Why can't? And it's so easy to get caught up in that. And I catch myself doing it a lot more often than I'd care to admit. But the thing is, I'm growing every day. I'm getting better at it every day. I'm not staying where I was. And when the Holy Spirit points out these things, I begin to try to, to do something different. someone gets a raise at your job, do you compliment them or do you get jealous? Do you talk bad about them to everybody telling them that they don't deserve it, it should have been you? Or do you congratulate them? Here's one. Has anybody ever prayed for somebody at work? A lot of us are afraid to pray in public. Tell you what, if you don't want to pray for people in public, start praying for them in public. There was this one lady that I used to work with, she would always ask for prayer. And in the beginning, this, what's the, the stock answer? Oh, I'll pray for you. And finally, I'm like, I've had enough of this. This isn't the, the life that I want to live. It's not the impact I want to make. So I started praying with her right then. I said, can you pray for me for this? I said, sure, let's pray right now. The next time she came up, I said, can you pray for this? I'm like, absolutely, let's pray right now. What do you know? She never asked me to pray for her again. She was afraid to pray in public. As Christians, that should be commonplace. That should be normal. It shouldn't be something that, that happens on occasion. Did you know that when we speak in a wise manner to people's lives, that we are a, a fountain of life for them? The impact in their moral, in their morals, or even their health is ultimately good when we speak to them that way. Otherwise, if we're not speaking that way, the opposite is true, that we can actually speak death into their life when we're doing those things. Proverbs 13, 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snare of death. And like I said, when the opportunity arises, I, I don't believe, particularly in your place of work, that you should walk around with a Bible and beat somebody with it every time they do something unchristian. One, like I said, if they're not a Christian, you're a fool if you expect them to act like a Christian. Instead, you should tell them about the gospel if you have the opportunity. The truth is, is that many people, if they don't give you an opening, they don't want to hear it anyway. 
and you're just wasting your time. I believe that's why Jesus says don't cast your pearls before swine because there's some people that just don't want to hear it. You don't have an opportunity and, and, and you're not going to get anywhere. But when you have the opportunity, take it up, pass it up. Tell them that there is hope. Tell them that Christ died so that they can live. See, the thing is, is many people are aware of their shortcomings and they understand justice. They know that they're missing something, even if they don't admit it. And when you have that opportunity, speak into their lives. Or something that you can do that's usually not considered too offensive is just ask people to do something. Pray for them. Most people are happy for it, even if they're not saved. Ask the store clerk if there's you notice something, if there's something that I can pray for. Ask your, your waitress if she comes up, if there's something that I can pray for you. And the thing is, is this should be our custom, not an every now and then thing. The next part we need to talk about is that's how we speak, the words we use. Now, how do we act? In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? or in prison and visit you. And the king will answer, Then truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It is important that we speak and say the right things. But everybody knows the old expression, actions speak louder than words. That's actually how we get into trouble as Christians and people think we're hypocrites because we say one thing, but we do something completely different. And the reality is, is that what we do to others is how we treat Jesus. It's how we treat the king. And the inverse of this is entirely true as well, because when you treat others badly, you're actually treating Jesus in the same manner. And I, th- I truly believe that if we allow ourselves to get caught up in that, it's because we don't actually understand how valuable that they are. We don't understand that Jesus gave up his life for them. And if Jesus gave everything for them because he loved them so much, why would that not inspire the same kind of action and the same kind of thoughts about them and the same kind of of seeing them that way that, that he did? Particularly when we know how much was given for us. The scripture says that they will know us by our love. By this all people, John thirteen thirty five. by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I recognize that that's talking about love within the church, loving one another. But the truth is, is that love extends well beyond the borders of the church walls. That love should be expressed towards everyone. And it's not just saying it, but it's in doing it. In verse Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through Him. The Scripture says everything that we do should be in the name of Jesus. We should work for Him, not our boss. We live for Him, not the people in our household. We don't live for Him. We live for Him. Everything we do should be from the foundation of doing it for Him. And many of you have 
been here a while know that it's my belief that that we should be able to put on our applications, our resume, that I'm a Christian, and that should move you right to the top of the list. Because if every Christian worked for the Lord, we would be the best employees that every employer ever had. We worked unto them. Now, I recognize that that's not always the case, but that should be the case. In today's society, we don't really pay heed to names either. That's another thing we talk about when we talk about doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. A lot of us don't even understand what that means. What does it mean to do something in the name of someone else? Because we don't really pay heed to names like they used to. You know, when you did something in the name of the king, that meant you were doing it as the king. Nobody gets to do anything in the name of the president except the president. So we don't understand that, but but there was a time when you did it in the name of somebody. It was as if you were doing it in that person's name. You were doing it as that person did it himself. So if you did it in the name of the king, you did it as if the king did it himself. And when we do anything, we should be doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that means that when we do something, it's as if he did it himself. And ultimately, everything that we do should be for the purpose of furthering his kingdom. And I mean that, everything. You mean, Pastor Wayne, when I go to work, that should be for the purpose of furthering? Sure. You have to take care of your family, but you need to invest in the kingdom of God. They used to farm and give uh, a tithe of their, their, their produce to the, to the temple. That's how they used to honor God. We do it. The difference is we do it with money today. We work so that we can be a blessing to others, that we can invest into others. And for many people, it seems so strange to give money away, but I'm so thankful that in my own life, God has made it where I can be generous. It is such a blessing to be able to invest into somebody else. Everything, Wayne, even, even taking a shower should be in the name. Yeah, because nobody wants to, to hear the gospel from you if you stink. Everything we do should be for the purpose of furthering His kingdom. And we need to do it in his name, as if he did it. And we do it with all of his authority backed up behind us. As an aside to this, we should also limit the things we do as well. There are a few things that shouldn't be done in the name of Jesus. And one thing that you have to understand, as soon as you claim to be a Christian, everything that you do will be scrutinized as if you were a Christian if you're doing it in the name of Jesus. Whether you want it to be or not, as soon as you say, I'm a Christian, people are looking at you to see what Christians do. I guess this is why when famous Christians fall, it does so much damage. Because they're so visible. And what they were doing was in the name of the King, in the name of Jesus Christ. So people ascribe their shortcomings, their failings to Jesus when it had nothing to do with Him. Because the world sees everything that we do to be done in the name of Jesus. It's funny, the world has a better concept and understanding of us than many Christians. Acts 17, 5-6 says, But the Jews were jealous in taking some wicked men off the, of the rabble, and they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You know, people should know who we are. People should know that we're Christians. And 
I mean, how awesome would it be if someone said about you, man, here they come, those people that turn the world upside down every time they come in the room. I think that would be amazing. One of the questions that's often been asked, I didn't come up with it, but I, I think it's a great one, is if, if it were illegal to be a Christian tomorrow, would there be enough evidence to convict you? See, this scripture is referring to Paul and Silas as those who have turned the world upside down because they were preaching the gospel everywhere, everywhere they went, and they were causing a ruckus. They were doing it for the kingdom of heaven. You know, one of my favorite stories is Joseph Hill. And he actually just told it. <laughs> in our Wednesday night Bible study was how when he's at work, they refer to him as the preacher man. You know, and the funny thing is, is many of them probably do it in a somewhat derogatory manner. They're trying to, to make fun of him. But I'm like, man, that's awesome. Boy, I wish people referred to me like that. I wish that everywhere, I, that's, that's how they knew me. I think that's amazing because that's someone that's turned the world upside down where he works. And this and they gave him that name, what, how many years ago? 30 years ago, and they still know him by that name. Praise God for that. I would that I would be referred to like that somewhere else. Not preacher, man, that might confuse me. But uh, maybe something else. Hallelujah. And the next step as we talk about, we need to make sure that we're saying the right things. We need to make sure that we're acting the right way. Doing the right thing. But the next thing we have to do is be consistent. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you have to have done without neglecting the others. Our words and our actions have to match. We can't say one thing and do another. See, one of the problems with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that they were one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. He says, you tithe mint and dill, but you should have thought about these other things. You can't just do one and the other. And what he does say, he doesn't say, no, you're doing the wrong thing. You should have cared about justice and mercy and faithfulness and, you know, the, the tithing wasn't a big deal. He says, no, you ought to have done both. It must have been good preaching. I just spit. Did you see that? You see, the, the problem with us is in our lives is that people affix what we do with their words. And it's like I said, there's nothing you can do about it. As soon as you claim to be a Christian, that's, that's the reality. People uh, uh, put the two of you together. What you do is what Jesus is. When you act a fool, they think Jesus is a fool. And how many of you know that when you're trying to, to get somebody to become a Christian, you're trying to tell them about the gospel and how great God is, and they're like, really? Because... Your life doesn't look any different than mine. Why would I want to, to be a part of what you're doing when there's, there's no benefit? Matter of fact, you cuss more than I do. Matter of fact, you're with more guys and more girls than I am. Why? I don't understand what this thing that you have is so great when nothing's changed about you. You know, that one of the greatest things, the greatest harms is that we have to understand when we fail publicly, Particularly if we don't, and I'm not going to say you're not going to fail. I fail all the time, even in public. But I'm quick to apologize to the people around me. I don't curse very often. But sometimes there are things that will make a pastor cuss. And when it happens, there's nothing I can do about it except say sorry to the people around me. 
And it's amazing. Most people, I, I do it, uh, there's been a couple of times over the past few years I've done it. Most people don't even realize that I did it. Like, oh, we didn't even notice that you did. But I'm going to apologize because that's not who I am. That was something else that slipped out, and I want them to know that. So when you fail, it's fine. Repent. Repent from the people that affected. 